Doing it live on a Tuesday night, Bo Bishop, Johnny Ginter. Uh, so you let's you're going to do a spring game, right? And you and it said, okay, let's get eighty four thousand people. Let's charge them five bucks a pop. Let's sell it out. I mean, the fact that Ohio State sold out a spring game the day before the game tells you all you need to know about the passion in that city uh, for the spring game. But as we talked about last week, it's not just the game. It's kind of like the official start of summer. It's the big social, the first big social gathering of the spring in Columbus. So it's all of those things. And I've tried to explain that to people up here. Um, so all of that's great. And you're, you're setting up and you're ready to go. And all of a sudden uh, you, you go to the game and you play the game and you realize it's two hand touch. <laughs> and you say, what? yeah, what the hell? So what the hell are we doing here? We're, we're doing what? And right. So I wasn't at the stadium. Were you at the stadium, uh, Mr. No, Gantry? I didn't. You I wasn't there? able to get out, unfortunately. Okay. Apparently, I was talking to Tim and Eric today uh, when we were taping the television show, and they said there was an audible groan um, in the you stands. Can you can hear it on the broadcast. When when people was... were like, wait a minute. This isn't like wait, a what? one-down thing where they're just screwing around. Like, this is their right. policy. No. What are we, wait, what are we doing here? Right. <laughs> So we're, I guess we're not going to tackle. And so that this lasts for two, almost two quarters as anybody listen to this, watch the game. Um, and then, you know, with the valuable people go out and then we go to tackling. Here's the, the deal with this. This is one of those things where, um, you know, it's kind of like I, I tell you, you tell you, sure you tell your students and I tell my kids um, the, the cover up is worse than the crime. And, and in this case, <laughs> right. if they just tell you before the game hey we're gonna go two in touch for you know the first quarter and a half or so while we have the starters in to avoid injury it wouldn't have affected the eighty-four thousand. it wouldn't have affected uh the, the thoughts and opinions of the of the press not that that matters that much of it or at all uh wouldn't have had any sort of social media impact in fact most people would say you know what that's pretty smart um there's no reason to get have these guys get hit more. Um, there's there's just no reason for that. Let, that's fine. Let's do untouch it for a quarter and a half. But by not allowing it to be known until it's actually done, you create kind of this sideshow. And yeah. it's just one of those things. Sometimes Ohio State can't get of its own way when it comes to getting their message out. You feel like, I mean, you kind of feel like you've been had a little bit, you know, like it. it Obviously, it's a practice, right? People are going there knowing it's not a real game. They know that it's just a scrimmage and, and it's not for real and all this other stuff and that everybody's Meyer's going to do whatever he wants. But the implication is that there will be some sort of football that is a reasonable facsimile of things that you have seen in the fall. That's and right. if you don't get that, I can understand why somebody would be pretty PO'd about that. Because, yeah. I mean, look, it's not... It's not so much that you really think that that's what the team's going to look like in the fall. I don't think anybody really truly expects that. No. But I think they also want to be reminded of what the team is capable of. And when it feels like it's just this, like, hey, we're going to go out here and, like, screw around for 20 minutes, give right. these people what they want. Like, it just yeah. feels like, I don't know. It feels like, uh, you ever watch Futurama? I'm aware of it, yes. Yeah, okay, well. In in Futurama, uh, you have Nixon going out there, like the head of Nixon. He's he's running for president again, and he starts like pretending that he like likes young people and stuff, and he plays this uh, you know protest song from the '60s, and he goes, "I'm meeting you halfway, you hippies," and that's what it feels like. <laughs> it feels like Irvin Meyer's going out there and you're like, "I'm meeting you halfway," like I'm, I'm they're out there, just like it. And then you know he brings in the the backups, and then they can actually hit each other. But it just it, it feels really just forced, and I can understand why people are groaning about that. That's that's BS. Have have some kind yeah. of competition, skills competition. I would like to see a punt, you know, pass kick competition before punt, I like pass, to see kick, yeah. touch. 
I don't yeah, know. I mean, I, I understand both sides. I think it's just a scenario where if you're just up front and you just say yeah. this is what it's going to be, you kind of avoid that. But, you know, he doesn't give a damn. He does not care. <laughs> he did what he wanted. Um, uh, you know, as, as for the actual game, I think the most important thing for fans to remember in the spring game, and this is hard because, um, you know, you saw fireworks. But I think the thing to remember about the spring game is, is that in many cases, it, the head coach designs the spring game to to make sure that one group looks really good, especially a group that was shut out the last time we saw it. And so this spring game was set up for them to throw the ball all over hell oh, and for yeah, the quarterbacks to look great. I mean, that this is that's how it was called. That's the way that the game was called offensively. Uh, this was to stretch the field. This was to show this is a brand new day for Ohio State football. We are going to press the ball down the field. We've got the quarterback and the athletes to do it. I would take it all with a grain of salt um, yeah. in terms of what you saw statistically from Burrow and from Haskins especially, um, that, that this was set up for them to succeed. That being said, you still have to make the throws. And, and both Burrow and Haskins, I mean, JT, was a, he's going to be the starter. That was, you know, go, go do three series and get out of here. Um, but, but the other two, this was their showcase. And that competition, Johnny, you think about this. That competition will go into fall. The winner of that competition, this is what he'll win. He will win the right to back up JT Barrett, and he will win the right to get the first at bat at replacing JT Barrett. And right. that's important. That's very important. The loser in this competition may never take another snap for Ohio State again. May never. Yeah. <laughs> that's, and that's, that's heavy. That's right? what's at stake. That's what's at stake. Because Emory Jones is coming in, and Tate Martell's there, and Burrow and Haskins are, are next up. The loser of that battle very likely would be surpassed by Jones or Martell eventually at some point, and certainly wouldn't have the more than likely would not have the patience to stick around, you know, two years of Joe Burrow or, or three years of Haskins, is, you know, to, to be an apprentice. I mean, they'd never see the field. They're not going to stay at Ohio State to be a backup their whole life. Um, so those are the stakes uh, between those two guys. And uh, what I saw was two very capable quarterbacks. It's the first time we've seen Haskins throw a football. And mm -hmm. He's got himself a hose. Yeah. I mean, yeah. he's got a big arm. He's, he's as advertised, honestly. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> yeah, he was. Which is great. I mean, like, and here's the thing. So, like, it's let's take that, you know, statement a little bit further. This isn't just the competition, you know, to be the backup for foreseeable future. This is like, this is who's going to be the starter after JT Barrett, essentially. Well, it's who will um, get the first at bat. Because right, Emory Jones the, is going to get it. Right, the inside track to get that job. So, this is, Absolutely. This something. Yes. that's a big deal. That's a oh, really it's huge. Deal. It's enormous. So I don't, I mean, and again, what I saw from both guys, I think Joe Burrow, you know, you were talking about this last time, the guy is underrated. He definitely deserves the shot to to get that position. Uh, and though you look at Haskins and some of the, the touch on his throws and some of these things he was able to do, you're like, okay, I can kind of see why he's got the hype. Um, and then you're, of course, you're going to bring in Emory. So it, it's just, it's going to be a really tight competition and i think that's going to be one of those things where nobody can show any weakness whatsoever and mop up duty you know assuming jt might you know let's say he gets hurt you know you're gonna to have to be basically perfect because considering how they handled the whole cardale jt situation i don't think they right. want to see that they're not taking any chances the guy who can perform the best is going to be the guy who gets the job i don't think they're going to show any kind of like you know we're going to try to get a little bit to joe because he's been there longer you know i don't think there's any of that going around so It'll be really interesting. Um, they will have to make a really solid choice. I don't think they can waffle on the backup this year. I think you have to be really dead set on who it's going to be. And like you said, I mean, who it's not is probably going to be 
you know, looking to transfer, which is sad because yeah. I think both of those guys are extremely talented. Yeah, I I said it today on the show that um, you know what, what's the you know Urban will one of those guys is going to get that gig and and what what it comes with the other one you know Urban will find transfer papers because yeah. guys like both these guys can play and they both have a future and they're not going to waste their careers waiting for an opportunity. Um, the the job to back up JT's big because only one quarterback in the history of Urban has played a whole season without getting hurt and that was yeah. JT last year. So the odds are JT's going to get banged up and somebody's going to have to play. Now, historically, what Urban would do with that is play the guy he trusts more. So mm-hmm. he, would, he would push aside talent for the guy he trusts more. And I would think at this point, he still trusts Joe Burrow more. Um, and Joe, th- this is the hard thing, because Joe is very talented, as you could see. He could make all the throws. He's very yep. accurate. But he's not Haskins from an arm perspective. Um, he doesn't have former Buckeye Chris Spielman going on the radio and saying that he could see him winning a Heisman Trophy and leading Ohio State to national championships. He has right. that kind of talent. That's what Spiels did on, on 105.7 The Game down in Columbus this week. Like That's the praise he had. And Spielman doesn't throw that stuff around. He's not reckless. He's aware of the gravity of his words. He's aware of who he is and his standing in the, in the college football landscape and certainly in the Columbus and Buckeye landscape. So if he's saying that, he means it. Um, and and, the, and so that, that's kind of what will play out over the, over the months of this summer. Both looked great. Um, I didn't think anybody had an advantage over the other, but this was our first look at Haskins. And so it was our first chance to see what all the hype was about. And it was one of those things, to your point, that I think the hype was warranted because physically he is very, very special with the way he throws a football. Uh, and you'd have to be blind not to see that. Yeah, well, and the other thing is, I mean, it's it's also how these guys mesh with the wide receivers. Obviously, you have a lot of you know new faces on the wide receiver core and in Again, you know, I, I always go back to this, but it's it's just about consistency. It's who can kind of yep. step in, assuming JT gets hurt, and just keep it going. Because one of the biggest problems that they had when they were going back with Cardale and JT was like, you've got two totally different quarterbacks, right? Like, yeah. you're not looking for the same thing out of either. And when you're you're going back and forth, the wide receivers have to adjust how they you know run routes. They have to change their timing up. It doesn't help the passing game. You need a guy like let's say a Kenny Guyton who can just come in and run the offense and then it'll be totally fine. And that's, that's exactly what you're looking for in a backup. I think both of them are capable of doing it. I think Joe Burrow is much more athletic than maybe he's been given credit for. And I think yes. he can do all the things. That's because he's white. Do. Yeah. Well, it's yeah. It's because he's I mean, white and he's from right. Athens, Ohio. That's why. Yeah. And, and you're really right about that. Simple. And I don't think the assumption should be made that, uh, you know, Haskins can just, well, you know, he can come in and he's the Superman. He can do everything that he needs to do. There's oh, a he's lot not Cam Newton. No, he's, he's not the runner. He's more Cardale no. Jones. Yeah. Truly. I mean, he's really yeah. more Cardale Jones. I mean, it looks like, I, I mean, few people have Cardale's arm, but that's more, he's more of a pocket thrower. He's a thrower. Um, right. He's not, he's not Mr. Read option guy. And there's nothing um, so, wrong yeah, with I mean, that, this but... is a case where this, where this, you know, the stereotypes of a black and white quarterback are kind of running the opposite direction from the stereotype. <laughs> right. Right. And, and that's, and that's kind of the point. I mean, you got to be yeah. able to make sure that the guy who comes in is able to continue doing what the offense is already doing. That's and right. it, you know, in looking at the wide receivers, I think there's a lot of talent there. I think there's a lot of opportunity uh, for people to step up this year. And I, I am happy about that. I think it still needs to be proven. I don't know that they're going to be able to come out like gangbusters and just, you know, you're going to have like three guys all catch, you know, seven or 800 yards passing. But um, I think there's enough talent there to keep the team in play, assuming that you've got a consistent quarterback who just doesn't turn the ball over. And that's really all you got to do. And, and I think you can allow guys like Demario McCall to, you know, 
do those crazy wheel routes that, you know, uh, Kyle on the website kind of explained about. I think that would be incredible. I, I love that. It's not a wrinkle because it's a very basic play. But the idea yeah. of utilizing that kind of talent to that effect, I am really excited about because Demario McCall well, is like. Yeah, let's go there next. A uh, couple of things on that. Um, and and we, we talked about this again on the television show, and I, it bears repeating again because I think it was a great point that I think Tim made. And he, he said, Shoes said on the show, he said, look, uh, you know, Weber is not Zeke Elliott. He's not going to get 25 to 30 carries, and that's fine. Right. And so this, and then I said, you know, this is this could go back to the early years of Urban at Florida when he split carries among a bunch of backs and nobody got a thousand. There was, you know, before, you know, he got into Carlos Hyde, the Carlos Hyde Zeke Elliott business, that was his MO, was, you know, everybody ran for 700 yards and caught passes and all this stuff. And I think that's what you'll see next year at Ohio State. I'm glad you brought up McCall because I think he's kind of the key to this thing. But clearly, Weber will be the bell cow and J.K. Yeah. Dobbins is going to play. I mean, he's going to play. Yeah. And so McCall is the Curtis Samuel, Dontre Wilson change of pace back. Those guys both evolved into H-backs, but that's what McCall is going to try to be. Now, I think it's very interesting. And all these things matter. I mean, people can laugh all they want, but all these things matter. Demario Call is still wearing number 30. So Demario <laughs> Call is supposed to get number two, right? And he's supposed to get number two, and Dobbins is going to get a different number, and that's something, something that's going to transpire when they get to fall. But he's still wearing number 30. He wore 30 through the spring. He wore it in the spring game. It is my bet knowing the way that Urban and his boys operate a little bit, that they are holding that number over McCall's head. Mm. And they're saying, let's see how you show up in August. That wouldn't and surprise if you me at all. If you show up ready to play, you'll get your number. Right. If not, get comfortable in number 30, um, which is the most nondescript running back number of all time, like 30. <laughs> or so nondescript. So pay attention to that. Because I'm, be I'm betting some sort of conversation took place between McCall and somebody at Ohio State that said, you want your single digit, that's fine. You need to prove that you are worthy of a single digit. You show up in August ready to go, um, and, and we'll see. Because he clearly has the talent. I don't know him at all other than his social media, which is classic. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I think that there is a – I think my guess is there's a big lean on him because everybody knows how special he is um, for him to come in ready to go in August. And I bet but, you they're holding that number over him. So you don't think he would want to stick with the, the famous Lydell Ross number at Ohio State? No, no I don't think Try to he's live too up little. To that reputation. Like if you're a big bruising back, you can be like 33 or 32. Yeah. I mean, those are kind of cool, 34 or something like that. But little scat backs always want single digits. Um, right. So, or at least a number in the 20s, like 22, 21, you know, something like that. So, no, I think the, I, he's, he definitely, I think they're, I, I know he wants number two. Um, and so I'm sure that's being held over his head this summer and to make sure he comes in ready to go in the fall. Right. And they've got, so they've got Paris kind of doing the age kind of thing. Correct. Like, yeah, I think that's, that's kind of what the, so that, to me, that's also interesting because I don't know. And, and granted, I'm, I haven't been at the practices and I haven't necessarily been like following, you know, like Paris Campbell around for the past several years, but I don't know that he is a natural fit for the age. Is that, he's not as shifty. Yeah, he's got you know, straight like, ahead speed. Certainly, he was a state, you know, state champion runner, sprinter. Yeah, so fast, but it reminds me of like when they would, you know, the kind of stuff they would do with Ted Ginn, where they, they just basically expected him to just do wheel routes and other stuff like that, and do end rounds. Where I don't really expect him to be the kind of, you know, the same kind of guy that they expected like Curtis Samuel to be. Um, I think yeah. that's an interesting position for him, and I almost kind of expected a guy like Demario to be more of a candidate for something and, like that. 
Johnny, he might be. That might be the way that it shakes out because, and really, Curtis was the most. I mean, they tried forcing guys into that role a lot. Jalen did it pretty. Uh, Samuel was the most they've had capable of doing that since Percy. I mean, right. he was the first one since Percy that really fit the role. I mean, they tried a lot of guys. They yeah. tried Philly Brown in that role. I mean, Philly, and they, all these guys are good players. But in terms of the true H, Curtis was the most capable. Right. Um, and I agree with you. I, I don't know if it's an exact fit for Paris. And it does seem like more of a fit for DeMario. And so these are things that are going to get worked out. Um, I'll tell you this, though. At receiver, Johnny Dixon had a great spring game. You know, yep. a lot of people have great spring games. I'm rooting for that kid. This is his fourth year on campus. Um, we talked about the numbers. They gave him number one, so that's what the expectation was. Urban Meyer said post game. This was so honest, and I don't really like it much, honestly. But um, his his line post game, and I'm paraphrasing, was uh, this is his last chance that you know essentially Urban's done right. with him. Like if he doesn't figure it out, then they're done with him. This is his last chance to still deserve a scholarship. So, which sucks because that's like not it. on Johnny Dixon necessarily. No, he's had, he's been injured, right? <laughs> you know. I mean, he's been injured and, um, you know, so I hope they're not pressuring him to quit or anything like that because, um, you know, he, because he's got bad knees and he's trying to, you know, they called him an enigma. They urban told the story about how he had tendonitis and he'd practice two days, miss two days, practice two days, two miss two days, uh, which is kind of like code for he's soft. So, right. He, I'm, I just, I wasn't crazy about all of it from urban, you know, th- that type of stuff. I'm sure a lot of coaches think like that. I don't like it verbalized. Um, but I'm rooting for that kid. And, and I think they kind of need somebody like that to come out of nowhere, because I got to tell you, um, I, I still don't see, you know, real game breaker stuff at receiver. Um, and I don't think it can be taught like either you have that or you don't. And I, I don't see anybody that's really too scary out there. I just kind of see a bunch of guys. So I hope Johnny can make the leap. Yeah. Um, I see a lot of twos, you know, like number two guys. And yeah, there's no Mike Thomas ain't walking through the door. Right. And and that's and not even and, and more than that. I mean, they were talking about the you know the long passing game, the long throws, and all that mm-hmm. stuff. Well, you got to make sure somebody can catch them because like there's a yeah, lot of guys right. who can run good routes and they can you know maybe get the medium you know an intermediate type passing game going on. But uh, I don't see a dude like Devin Smith or whoever can, who can catch these long passes. And you got to make sure that that's there because. I think last year a lot of teams were picking up on that. They were bringing their safeties and their all their defensive backs as close as they could and just daring Ohio State to try to complete deep passes. Um, you got to have a guy who can catch them. And, you know, obviously you got to have a guy who can throw them too. Part of that's on the quarterback. But I just – you're right about that. I, I think that's an aspect of the game that has to be present. And hopefully, you know, Dixon's the guy that can provide that because I'm with you, man. Like, I'm rooting for that dude. I Going through injuries yeah. like that, I can't imagine the kind of mental toughness that it takes to come back from that and, you know, have people doubting you and have people saying, that, I don't know how this is going to work out. Like, he's he's a top-flight athlete. He deserves yep. uh, to be able to have a good season, a good healthy season. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and there's no magic elixir for that either, you know, in terms of right. the, uh, you know, at receiver. I, I, I don't know. So you, it's interesting. You brought up Devin Smith. We, they, somebody, I think Eric brought that up on the show today. And um, I was thinking, like, is he one of the most underappreciated Ohio State players? He might be. I mean, he was great. And every time he caught a touchdown, they won the game. And he caught a lot of touchdowns. And, and he, his ability to get deep changed the games. I mean, yeah. the best Urban's offense has ever looked was Cardale Jones when he had Devin. 
right. the ability of that arm and that kid on the outside, they Urban never had that at Florida, and he hasn't had that before since at Ohio State. He had it for that three-game window you know, to the national championship. And that's when the offense was at its best. That's, there's a reason Zeke ran for 700 yards in those three games because <laughs> they could take the top off the defense. And they've been searching for that, you know, since Devin left, you know, because Mike, Mike is great, obviously, but he's not the, the burner on the outside. So, you know, they got to get back in the business of finding a burner a little bit. Um, speaking of Cardell, so Tom Herman is now the head coach at Texas, in case you missed it. And uh, <laughs> Tom, Tom, I enjoy a great deal. Um, but he's made, I think, some interesting choices. He, he made the choice in March to kind of take a shot at the Columbus weather. Like, how could I can't believe I survived it? Um, I'm paraphrasing, but basically, that's what he was insinuating is that yeah. the weather was so like bad. He was a member of the Donner Party that somehow yeah. made the mountains. <laughs> like it was the worst thing ever, as opposed to the fact that Urban Meyer poached him out of obscurity right. and, and allowed him to get in line for the Texas job. Um, so he did that. And then uh, today he was talking with, uh, I saw this from Bruce Feldman of Fox sports. And he's talking to Tom about stuff. And, um, he, Tom starts telling a story about Cardale Jones, about how, um, he says, says something about G drop name drops, a couple of rappers, Mingos and chance, the rapper or something like that. And he says, they're going to be in Austin on this Sunday. And I said, I can't be there because Michelle and I are going to be in Columbus for Cardale Jones's graduate graduation. And then he goes to tell the story that many times urban Meyer wanted to kick Cardale Jones off the team. And it was up to Michelle and Tom to save Cardale Jones. Now that may be true. I, I, you know, I don't think Tom. I'm certainly Tom wouldn't fabricate that. There's no way he'd fabricate that. So it's, it, it might be true. But I was surprised he verbalized it to somebody at Fox Sports that that the head coach wanted to kick a kid that he wanted to kick Cardale off, and Tom saved him from being kicked off. And then the the, the next line he says, it shows you that you don't always have to be uh, real hard on kids. There's a soft way to get to kids too. And I thought, boy. That just seems like a shot across the bow at Urban. And I get it. It's about recruiting. Yeah. Urban is going to go into Texas and try and get kids. Tom's feeling a little heat because his first recruiting class wasn't what they thought it would be. Um, the expectation was that he would come in like Urban did here and end up with the top five class. That's impossible to do. What Urban did his first year here, no one could do that. Him and Saban could do that. That's it. Um, but I thought, I just, I don't think it's the best look for a guy who is beloved. Uh, or was beloved by Ohio State fans and gets a ton of credit for what they did offensively um, when Urban first got here um, and is missed, I think, by most fans. So even though he was questioned at times when he was when he was here, um, did you read it? Were you surprised at the tone of it? And now is this am I overreaching that this is the second time that he's kind of taken a shot? I did read it, and I don't think you're overreaching. And I, I mean, so he mentions two of the biggest rappers in rapid succession: Migos and Chance the Rapper. Which and I'm a huge Chance the Rapper fan, uh, so you know, I, I get it. Um, but then he goes and tells a story about how he, you know, helps this this you know inner city ne'er do well Cardell Jones yeah. get to graduation yeah. in spite of the mean old dean who coach who didn't want him there. And it just, it, it really smacks. I mean, last time we talked about this with the weather thing, we are talking about like desperation and stuff like that. I don't think it, yeah. this necessarily smacks of desperation, but it definitely seems inauthentic. And I don't think, I'm not saying that the relationship between Cardell and Tom Herman is not authentic. I think it absolutely is. But the fact that you're just casually, you know, wink, wink, casually dropping all this information and then insinuating yeah. that Urban Meyer is the guy who wanted to deny him this, that that's really frustrating for a couple reasons. First of all, Cardale Jones should be central right. to the story, right? Not Tom Herman. Right. 
you know, rescue right. Cardell Jones worked his butt off to get back in the good graces of Urban Meyer yeah. to graduate and to do all this other stuff. He should be the focus of this. Okay. Yeah. Not, not Tom Herman, who's making bajillion dollars, you know, being the Texas long running coach. Secondly, uh, I don't think that, you know, Cardell Jones is also like the, the, the person who was being, you know, like persecuted by, Urban Meyer in this situation. I think Cardell Jones screwed up plenty of times before he had to have several come to Jesus moments where he got, and again, he got himself on track, but that's further my point that he's the focus of this story. Tom Herman's making it about himself. And that's what bothers me about this because it should be about Cardell Jones, his awesome, you know, kind of rags to riches story that he went through. The fact that he worked Mm -hmm. his butt off to get where he's at. He should be the focus, not Tom Herman trying to sell himself to recruits. That's all I'm saying. You bring up, um, I, I actually had to look up who Migos were. I heard Le- Levitard talking about it today, so I had yes, to look up who, I, I didn't know who they were. But it, so, apparent, so, they're, so they're guys, and then Chance the Rapper, I know who he is. So the, the funny thing about it is, is the first line Herman says that they want to meet, that Chance the Rapper and Migos want to re- meet him. Right. Like if we went to, Migos is two guys, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so let's say we went to him and said, you know who Tom Herman is? Like what do you think the odds are? They might they know do. who he is, but I don't think they give a crap about meeting him. Unless they're from Texas, I would say they don't. Yeah, yeah. You know, I don't know where they're Chance from. Rappers, Chance Rapper's from Chicago. He's he does not care about Tom Herman. He does not day. give two cents about. No. no, of course not. Like he's just like he's like you said, he's from Chicago. He's a yeah. Bulls fan. I mean, he's a White Sox, he ate Cubs, whatever. Like he's not. I mean, come on, college football, especially in Texas. Come on. So anyway, it just it's a little contrived. I know what he's trying. He's the guy's on the hustle. He's just one of the smartest guys out there. And he's he's fighting for his life because the, the amount of money they gave him and the hype that's surrounding him is pressure that can swallow you up. And this is the first time he's had real pressure on his hands in terms of something he has to get done. And he's been paid a lot of money and he's got to recruit. And so he's got to sell it. And I get it. But I don't think he should do it at the cost of Urban um, because of what Urban has done for him, uh, which is really give him every opportunity. Well, and he shouldn't latch um, on to Cardell Jones' story. I think in that way, and like, that's cool. and that's the over, that's the overriding. Is yeah, and to, it's cool that he wants to see him graduate. Like I, I think that's yeah. a great little gesture. So just show make up, it about, make it about Dolo, not about yourself. Just shut up, right? Yeah, exactly. You don't have to tell everybody about it. Just show up. Right, right. That's what. You, that's People the way you take do pictures. it. They'll know you're there. Yes. It, the word would get out very quickly. He's got a lot of Twitter followers. I mean, just Cardell would probably tweet it out. Just show yeah. up, take a picture with Cardell. And that's it. Right. You know, it doesn't have to be more than that. So uh, anyway, um, the, 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 this will be a battle going forward, though, because Urban's not giving up in Texas because he likes the success he's had in Texas and he's got good recruiters in Texas. It'll take a little bit of a hit without Beck. Um, but but he's he likes Texas a lot and he's going to stay in Texas and recruit players. So uh, this will continue and it'll probably escalate a little bit. Um, over the course of the coming months and, and years, as long as the, the, they both are here, so um, that that's kind of the uh, that 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 will be worth watching going forward. Um, all right, do we have um, you want to touch on the Reds? I know that you mentioned what, with just, the broadcast group. We were just talking about it a little bit earlier, and I I was kind yeah. of thinking about this because you know we've had I was thinking about it earlier today with uh, you know Vern and all these other guys. You know, we've had a lot of, I think, legendary broadcasters kind of mosey off into the sunset recently. I mean, you're talking about like the Dodgers and then all this other, yeah. like it's just Ernie you know, Harwell, not that long ago. Yeah. Yeah. So 
what were for you what were kind of the broadcasters that maybe inspired you or that you really like when you were growing up maybe not now but like when you were younger because i was a big marty guy i i listened to marty yeah. and and uh you know the old left hander like pretty much every day in the summer so yeah that was <laughs> <laughs> yeah so the reason i'm a dodgers fan is because of in scully so i grew right. up near great falls montana and when the great falls dodgers which was rookie ball um, but there were some good players came through. Raul Mondesi came through. Pedro Martinez came through there. Eric Carroll came through there. So it was like the, the Dodgers sent their it was a it was a club that mattered to them. So it's in their best prospects there to start their careers. So um, when the when the Great Falls Dodgers it was a shortened season when they didn't play I would get L.A. Dodgers on the radio. So I'd hear Vin. Uh, so as a little kid, that's the reason I was a Dodgers fan is because of Vin. Um, the guys who inspired me to go into like be a sports broadcaster, make you think it was cool. Is the the biggest was Craig Kilborn um, in the nineties. Uh, and he's fallen off the face of the earth. I mean, he's right. just disappeared. Um, people remember him from old school. And before that, like he had that show on CBS where he was just so smug. And then he had the, uh, and he, and then he did the daily show. He was the original host of the daily show. But yeah. before that he hosted the 2am sports center. So the 2am Eastern sports center, but for us in mountain zone, that's the midnight sports center. Um, so that's, that was in our wheelhouse and he was half drunk. It seemed all the time. And he said the, he said the funniest, craziest stuff. And he was just so funny. So it was like him and Brett Haber were on that show. So I know a lot of people in the East were Oberman Patrick guys for those of us in the West. We were the late edition and, and Kilburn right. called it the feel good edition. Um, so it may have been the midnight Eastern. So it was maybe 10 o'clock mountain. I can't remember. I can't remember exactly, but, and then I remember it just replayed all night long. Uh, but that was the guy who I said, he just looks like he's having the most fun of anybody. And he went to Montana state. So there was, a, you know, that was there a relationship go. there a little bit. Yeah. So that, that was the guy that I said, that seems like the most fun in the world you could have. Yeah. I think, I think, uh, Kilborn kind of vanished off the face, you know, up, up the crap, crack of his own butt a little bit. Did um, you hear his podcast? So he's been off the grid for like almost 10 years. Yeah. Yeah. It's been yeah. a long time. I mean, totally off the grid. He shows up on a Bill Simmons podcast. Last year, I was so excited because I hadn't heard from him in forever. And he just became so smug uh, that it was really hard to really watch him. He was much more fun and didn't take himself so seriously when he was on SportsCenter. But he's doing a Bill Simmons podcast about a year ago. And it was as if he was uh, on Coke the whole time. I mean, he was he could hardly string a sentence together. And he just kept saying so many great stories, so many great stories. Oh, here's a great one. He would like start to tell the story. And the story would suck. And you're like, well, what the hell was that? There's no point of that. Um, so he's, I don't know that it all ended well for him and he just kind of walked away from the late, yeah. late show. I mean, there was no, he wasn't pushed out or anything. Like he just left, uh, when his contract was up. So it was and to like act. And then all he, he did like old school and that was it. You never heard from him again. See, that's the thing though. Cause I was thinking about this because I was, I listened to a couple of Reds games and you listen to Marty Brenneman, the dudes yeah. in the, you know, he's in the hall of fame. Like he's an yeah. incredible sportscaster, incredible announcer for such a long time. But he's not the same dude that I listened to when I was younger. And sure. it's just, it's kind of jarring because, you know, I, I don't listen to the Reds as religiously as I used to. Uh, and then you'll listen to Marty like, Oh my God. Like, and, and they've got, you know, they've got some other guys in there who kind of give them a little bit of relief, but you're like, this yeah. is not, this is not what I grew up with. And same with like Joe Nuxall, when Joe Nuxall was kind of reaching the end, uh, you know, of his career and of his life, uh, there would be, you know, two or three out stretches where he would say nothing during the entire right. <laughs> like, absolutely nothing and you're just kind of waiting like is there I, i'm hearing the sounds of the game i'm not hearing the announcement yeah. something wrong and then he'd break in with something crazy and i remember one time um i was on a long it wasn't too long it was about a three-hour drive i was listening to the reds and i heard 
you know, basically Joe Nuxall just kind of not giving any commentary whatsoever. And then there was like a really bad call, apparently, by the uh, by the umpire. And he went on this rant, this epic 20-minute infuriated rant, <laughs> where I don't think it was really proportional at all to what had happened on the field. But he was like furious and like screaming into the mic and just getting really upset and when they cut to marty and the next time you could hear him in the background still getting angry about it complaining about it and i'm like this is weird this is like grandpa like lost a couple marbles you know like i've known this guy ever since i could you know learn to comprehend words and he's like losing it on the air you know same with like marty with he he made a reference like he he called a really long road trip uh, like the batan death march yeah, or uh, two. Like, I just think about these things, and I I wonder when is a good time for a guy in that position to kind of you know head on so, to the sunset? Because like a guy like Vin Scully, I mean, he's he's I think he was great up until the day he you know stopped doing yeah. it. But you can still see some drop off. I just think it's really interesting sure. because they they become such institutions that you never want to get rid of them. But at a certain yeah. point, you got to be like you got to have that conversation. Well, the thing with Marty that's interesting is is how critical he is. Yeah, I mean, yeah. He, he like fights players. I mean, yes. he fought Homer Bailey. He takes shots at Votto. Like, I mean, that's pretty remarkable. Um, well, and also I end up stupid getting... because that's the other thing that m- makes me kind of irritated about Marty. He will pick fights yeah. for, with with players that really are good and, and don't deserve to have any fights picked with them whatsoever. Joey Votto is the only reason why the Reds do anything most of the time. Oh, it's uh, maddening. Like... I don't, I, I don't understand the motivation. You know, and Right. Uh, so I don't know. It's it, he's definitely different in that sense, where he th- it really injects himself in, into the broadcast. Yes. Um. He'll do it as the thing about it with all these guys is once they like if they this is such a cush job, right? Like to do <laughs> yeah. what they're doing is such a cushy job. Yeah. Um. Yeah. You travel a hundred and you got one hundred and sixty-two games you got to do, so you travel two hundred days a year. Um. But the rest of the time you're not doing anything. While you're traveling, you're flying on the team plane, so it's charter everywhere. Uh, you're staying in, you know, Ritz Carlton's and, you know, St. <laughs> Regis hotels and W's and um, JW Marriott's. I mean, you're staying in the best hotels. You're playing a lot of golf because you got all day to do whatever you want. Right. Um, so it's a really good life. And so that's the other part of it is it's hard to give up. Plus, a lot of them are just so used to being on tv or radio that the idea of not being on it almost seems you almost seem like you're naked without it you know like it is so much of who you are interesting yeah i just i just was thinking about that because you know i again i love the reds and i still enjoy listening to martin still think he does a good job uh, with like the play-by-play and stuff but uh it is definitely a different tenor than than what i kind of grew up with and i was just kind of thinking about that especially going to the off season where i'm going to be probably watching dozens of reds games which i mean inexplicably they're good right now but that's probably only gonna last for another two or three weeks so <laughs> right you feel like there's a ceiling on that uh, there's Just... there's clearly a ceiling <laughs> right yeah um, absolutely uh we have a we have some ask us anything questions you want to get into those okay yeah let's ha- let's get, let's let's roll through some all right let's do it real quick all right so the first one here uh first of all uh Kais, uh just wanted to thank us for answering his uh pizza question from last week and he 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 backed up my uh Backed up my uh, Hound Dogs Smoking Joe's Crust recommendations, so I'm, I'm happy. Okay. Uh, nice, Alvin nice. has a hypothetical here. He says, we need to renovate, or they need to renovate, because we're not going to be doing it, the entire 614 because of a weird construction plan. You can only keep three landmarks in Columbus. Which landmarks do you keep? 
State House, Ohio Stadium. Yes. What's the third? I don't know. I mean, you know, Columbus is, is such a post-World War II city. We don't have a lot of, like, really... No, I, I will say... Like... Sorry, go ahead. No, I was just saying, probably Nationwide Arena would be the third, just because I think it's it's so great, but... Um, and we're doing a sports thing, but I mean, you, you bring up the best point ever in that it's a, po- a post-World War II city. So, you know, Columbus to me was always kind of like, you know, the, the USA Today, the newspaper, you know, like it was, right. that's, it, there wasn't, it didn't have seven, you know, 200 years of history behind it. It's not, you know, you drive around downtown Cleveland and there's buildings that have been around for 150 years. I mean, there's monuments to, to, to stuff that happened 200 years ago. Um, and Cleveland's always been a really big city. Uh, Columbus is one that's just grown like crazy so oh, yeah. to your point it's very very different to think there from a landmark standpoint ohio stadium is probably the landmark i would say i mean i i would say ohio stadium and, and the state house are probably two that i would pick as well um yeah. the one thing that i would say is I, I think columbus has a lot more history than maybe people understand but it's not the kind of history that comes with a lot of monuments and huge buildings and things like that i mean a lot yeah. of the history is a result of the civil war the underground, underground railroad um, you know, a lot of things that you may not necessarily pick up on unless you see one of the, you know, historical Ohio markers that are, you know, peppered kind of around the city. Yeah. If I were to pick like a building, uh, I have gone to the state courthouse where there's a federal court and the Ohio Supreme Court many times. And the outside is kind of nondescript. It's just basically a big kind of marble building, but inside is absolutely beautiful. They have a number of just amazing uh, rooms and paintings and murals and all kinds of stuff. Yeah. It was restored, I think, in the '90s, uh, but it's that's an incredible place. I might, I might keep that as well. But there's a lot of cool places. I mean, there's a lot Ohio of theater is like, really cool too. Yeah, the theater is amazing. Uh, if you want to yeah, talk about cool. like you know the gardens and the you know the you know pretty much everything that they have down near German Village, I think is really awesome. Um, yeah, lots of cool stuff. Yeah, so well, I, you bring up a great point from a landmark standpoint. There's you know monuments and stuff that there's not there's not a lot of that. Yeah, which is fine. I mean, I don't, I don't, I think it, it just makes it a little harder for people to appreciate the history around the city, which is a little sad. But it, you know, it I hope would entice people to get out there and, and learn a little bit more about it. Um, so this last one's from uh, Joey here, and he kind of just wants to to go on a little bit about what we kind of already talked about between Haskins and, and Burrow. Um, yeah. And here's what I think is interesting. <laughs> so he's very polite about this, but he wanted us to maybe broach the subject about uh, how race might play into our perception of the quarterbacks. And I think we, I think we can we talk about that. We tackled that, didn't we? Yeah, we talked about that a little bit. And the other thing I, I just mm-hmm. want to add to that point, though, is it's not so much. I think when people talk about this and they talk about how you know a white quarterback may not get credit for being athletic and a black quarterback may not necessarily get the credit for uh, being a good pocket passer and stuff like that. I think what people get too caught up in is defining people or their athletic abilities based on their race. It doesn't matter whether it's favoring one side for one reason or the other. The fact that you're not looking at these people as individuals is the, right. you know what I mean? Like it, like people want to play this game like, well, we got to make sure the white quarterbacks are getting talked about this and the black quarterback. No, just talk yeah. about them as individuals. Look at them as human beings and grade them based on their personal abilities. Stop trying to make it about whether they're black or white, because I think that does a disservice to people from every race. And I just think it would be a lot better yeah. if we talked about people as human beings and individuals and athletes as opposed to what we expect them to be because of some BS preconceived notion that we might have. Yeah, I think you know the thing you, that you can believe 100% is that Urban Meyer's colorblind in it. 
I mean, he's just going to play the best guy. Yeah. <laughs> like, he doesn't give a damn about that. The no. team doesn't give a damn about that. No. Um, nobody cares about any of that. Um, the, the, the thing that is, I think the thing that is ironic about this and, and humorous to me is that, um, is that both these guys go opposite the stereotype that, that right. Joe's a better athlete than people think a white quarterback and they think he can't run and will joke and run just fine. He's, you know, pretty athletic, can get down the field, make cuts, do all the things that, that you, maybe some people wouldn't think he could because, because of where he's born and because of the color of his skin. And the opposite of is true of, of Haskins where uh, you see a black quarterback and you think he's Michael Vick. I mean, that's kind of the way people are. I mean, that's, that's the way it is. And the reality is he's not, he's more Cardale Jones, uh, which is a, you know, a guy who stands in the pocket and throws the ball with a big arm. I mean, that's who he is. So, yeah. I, you know, we talked about this earlier. We touched on it. We didn't intend to, but it kind of led to it just because of the, the preconceived notions based on race of the quarterback position. Um, but both these guys kind of go opposite of it. And they're both very, very capable. So, right. Um, that's exactly and, it. And Urban's going to play really the best athletes. guy. They're both really good athletes. They deserve to yeah. be on their if athletes. If you scholarship at Ohio State, you're, you're going to athlete. Right. <laughs> right. There's, there's probably true. not a whole lot of doubt about that. No, uh, all right, so no. that's Ask Us Anything this week. Um, if you guys want to write Very in, good. please write in. It's uh, dubcast at 11warriors.com or hit us up on Twitter at 11dubcast. And, of course, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And if you're on iTunes, please rate us as well, favorably, preferably. <laughs> yeah. I will accept anything less than five stars as an insult and a slap in the face. So, <laughs> All right, buddy. We will, uh, we, will, we will do it again next week. More fun ahead. Absolutely.